Yes, you're very, very welcome to the beautiful game here on UC 98.3 FM. Yes, you're very, very welcome along to UC 98.3 FM. It is the beautiful game, of course, here every Monday, 4 to 5, and we've got an action-packed show for you as well today. First of all, uh, we'll be looking back at the weekend's JA action with James here in studio, and also as well, uh, we'll be hearing from UC Cancer Society, who are holding the uh, annual Really for Life. It's back in person this year, and that's taking place at the Marduk Arena on Friday as well. So we've got someone on, uh, Mariana from the Society, to talk to us a little bit about that. Then it's Six Nations time, again, action-packed uh, rugby weekend lost to get into there as the French uh, finally uh, I suppose made good on their promising talent uh, winning their first Grand Slam since 2010 and then that links in very nicely because we'll be talking to Alan Crockwell uh, who is the director of Mixability Sports Ireland and he is going to be talking to us about the uh, one of the biggest sporting events arguably to take place in the country this year it's the Mixability Rugby World Cup and some very very interesting insights there from Alan so looking forward to hearing from him a little little bit later on but uh, first of all uh, I guess my deputy here across for me he he really I think he babysat the place pretty well last week I have uh, to say. yeah I kept the show afloat briefly anyway it's uh, it's not fall to pieces just yet so yeah thanks for thanks for letting me take the reins last week boss and I hopefully I didn't do you too too much I didn't bring too much shame upon the show no no it was very good now I have to say and uh, you're a cool calm and collected composure you were like uh, a pilot I suppose at the wheel of a plane it's uh, yeah a pilot on maybe on his first day of training and he's thrown in and he has to fly a 747 jumbo jet transatlantic I think that's the way I probably describe it I was pushing buttons that I didn't know needed to be pushed and uh, but I was I, while I maybe outwardly uh, portrayed maybe composure inwards I, on the inside I was most certainly all over the shop but uh, thankfully managed to keep the show on the road and good to have you back with us this week Chief yeah, it's great to be back, I have to say. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, where to start? I mean, it's been busy, uh, a busy weekend. Uh, maybe a less stressful one for you uh, since you're uh, back in your uh, your little uh, stomping ground over there. But uh, well, <laughs> Back in exile. Back in exile. Uh, listen, I'm proud of you, that's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, the weekend, yeah, I mean, where to start? I mean, the GAA, one, I think, uh, proud man would be Keith Rick, and he wasn't on the sideline for the game now at the weekend due to illness. But uh, I, I, we've been discussing a lot about Cork football right the last few weeks and how we know it's kind of really the lowest of the low for them in in such a long time but I was looking through just a few stats there before we came on like there's 11 first team players injured think about it like the likes of Shawnee Powder Sean Meehan uh, Daniel O'Mahony or Mac O'Mahony and there's a couple of other um there's there as well you've got see all experience that's left the squad like some Mark Collins Luke Connolly I mean there's so many players that are not there that would normally uh be there for cork and who are really promising uh, footballers you know so it like he's i think he's used 51 players this season uh, be it the league and also the McGrath the, the, the McGrath cup as well yeah so like that just gives you an insight i suppose into the challenge yeah that's there yeah i think uh it's a huge win for cork as you said unfortunately the hurlers couldn't get over the line in wexford park but it was a bit of a dead rubber anyway considering they were in the league semi-final as it was but yeah the footballers huge win uh 116 112 over down in parky ring um 
yeah, it sets it up all nicely now for kind of a do or die huge game. It's a huge game for Cork season, and it's mad to think it's it's only going to be the end of March, and it's pretty much going to decide their season um, against um, Offaly and Tullamore this weekend. So win, and they they keep their Division Two status, and they get a shot at Sam Maguire lose and. It's Division 3 again for Cork and it's, uh, more importantly, the Taltain Cup unless they can beat Kerry in the Munster semi-final, which is probably unlikely at the moment on, on recent form. Yeah, it was a very nervy game. You know, they were... I suppose they got the goal Stephen Sherlock I mean he's been fantastic for Cork this year probably the one the few shining lights since he's been, he's been brought in for sure yeah Yeah, and you know he got the goal a crucial goal and I suppose you know we got a 4-5 four, 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 point lead then down get a goal back and it's very nervy for the last few minutes and I was listening to some of the commentary on, on C103 and uh, it was it was quite uh, dramatic to say the least but they probably just need that one when you never know like it could kickstart something we've seen with Dublin okay in a very different place to us but you know get a couple of wins there on the board and they seem to be really uh, on a renew, renewed confidence so you know maybe if they can get another big win in a big game as well you know down Tullamore away from home um, that's another maybe I guess feather in the cap at least in this very early stages of their development totally and I think um, like confidence is huge in all in all sports particularly in inter-county football and They've just there just has been no sense of belief in this team maybe this year and you, you alluded to missing some of the key players there probably the players you look to in moments where you're a bit doubtful maybe I know it's probably early in the careers of some especially like Sashaw Meehan um, but uh, it, it's kind of it's like that moment a few years ago where they had that Tipperary Munster final where it was just a, a nervy affair and it just the game slipped away from them This it just can't happen again this time this is it's just so crucial for Cork I can't underestimate how big a game it is but it's just it, like it just doesn't get any bigger for Cork status over the next few years. This this is to if Key can keep them in Division Two, it just gets that bit of buy in. Um, it gets them galvanised. They're pulling in the right direction. There's a path to follow. Um, lose and it's all bets are off where Cork could end up at the end of the year. Yeah, I know it's it's really it all comes down to next next Sunday. Uh, is there any other games in the in the football side things uh, that kind of caught your eye at the weekend? Uh, not particularly now to be fair there was one or two here and there I think Dublin winning again over Donegal it's been a bit of a resurgence of recent weeks for for, uh, for Dublin Kerry with a big win in Armagh as well I know their stat like they've they've consolidated their plays at the top of the league and now they wait to see who they play in the final one of Mayo or Armagh are likely to probably join them but um, it was an impressive win I think it was in front of 11 or 12,000 up in uh, the athletic grounds in Armagh so that was an impressive win really had a championship feel to that one but um, I think over the next kind of week or two now as the game's Player. there'll be a lot of dead rubbers as well um, a lot of probably tame enough affairs I know like the likes of Clare now in Division 2 are kind of they're, they're nothing to play for me as well not much to play for either um, so while there's a lot to be decided there's there's also a lot of teams kind of there that are just kind of filling it, fulfilling the fixtures in, to a certain extent but um, yeah uh, disappointing for the, for the hurlers as well but um, all in all um We'll take it. We'll take. We'll take the core football is what what's rare as wonderful as the fella said. Yeah, and I suppose we have to give one honourable mention. Some of the other uh, divisions, uh, I guess, allowed going very well under Mickey Hart. It looks like they could be back to back promotions, and also as well, Galway having a big win up in Derry as well. You know, at four goals past. Uh, you know, one of the form teams. One that people are saying they might be potential Ulster uh, winners as well. So, like a real statement of ten from Galway. They seem to. Have 
kind of gotten their act together now again you know kind of gotten themselves organised added a few more players no Shane Waltz as well at the weekend and um, you know it, they just seem like a, a team really on the up and you know when you see like again they, we, we've been in the situation before with Galway where they'd be they'd be fantastic in the league I think before Covid especially they were probably the form team in the country and they just kind of implode in the championship but I think they, we could maybe expect a, a big a big thing from them in the summer so I think nice to give a, an honourable mention to Galway but also yeah moving on to the hurling I suppose and again a few dead rubbers here and there so, uh, I guess to start with Cork probably not a huge amount to read, to read into it it was kind of a mix and match team from Kieran Kingston uh, but again it, I think it underlines that Wexford looked like they could be the real deal yeah 122-117 final score um, like you said I think Cork were behind for most of the game threatened and it threatened to get going at times but it never really developed into much of a much of a game because both teams knew they were safe in the semi-finals already and I suppose maybe just home advantage maybe got Wexford over the line they thought about maybe throwing it away at times but Cork never really got going in this game and um, yeah that, that that's as much as really to be said about it I think yeah Wexford are um, are, look, are looking strong but I think we'll see they flattered to deceive on, on the last few years but um, let's see how they go now in the summer and it, it, I guess it does show though like I mean there, there is a few positives I think even from from the game I mean we saw a few more players come in I think Alan Connolly played well he got the goal I think as well and did well for, for Cork you know someone we've been kind of expecting a lot of over the last couple of years Jerk Collins in goal as well um, brother of the number one uh, Patrick Collins Kilkenny now next week uh, down in the park it looks like big game it just wonder though if they do win that right they go into a league final and isn't pretty much championship is on then from from the week after like is this we've heard a lot of this discussion about our our team's actually better off not winning the league i don't know what you think of that but i think winning is a habit to be honest and i think if you can keep the momentum going i think yeah winning is a habit and i think it will spill into the championship from there um they have a good chance against Kilkenny at the weekend, um, so I, I don't see why you go out and, like no one goes out and intends to lose. And I think if you lose, it just you start questioning each other, you start doubting yourself, and where do you go from there? To be honest, um, yeah, it was good to give some some of the younger, more fringe players a chance. I think Niall O'Leary came in, uh, Kieran Joyce, like they all they all contributed well enough. But um, yeah, I think um, was a Rory O'Connor. I think it really was the Rory O'Connor yeah, show again in, in Wexford Park. So I think he's probably been the story of the of the. He's only twenty four, and it seems like he's been around for such a long time as well. But and you know they still have players come back as well. For uh, Lee Chin was only on the bench uh, at the weekend. A lot of debate of where his best position is. Darry Egan really seems to have come in there and just um, energise him brought in a few younger players kind of loosened the shackles a little bit they're kind of playing a little bit more of a balance a little bit more direct but also at the same time really solid at the back haven't conceded too many goals and they just look like a really well coached team and there's a lot there to be excited about yeah there is um, it'll be interesting now to see how they got on as I said in the Leinster Championship with the likes of Galway and Kilkenny and Dublin you'll see see how they match up when it really matters they um, 
I think they won a Leinster a few years ago under Davy Fitz, but they just haven't been able to replicate it. And maybe it's just over the course of summer with a few injuries, whether the strength and depth of the panel might get exposed. But we'll see if that if that holds true this year. And it, it's been great to see the rise of Roy O'Connor. He really is an exceptional hurler and uh, someone to nearly take the the onus off Leachin, who has been carrying the can for Wexford probably over the last maybe best part of a decade at this stage. He's been around for a very long time as well. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see, how he, see where he fits into their plans. But um, yeah, lots of things to ponder into the into the summer, so plenty of talking points. Yeah, and I guess just to, to finish up then, overall, as a league, has it been a good one? I mean, we've seen a lot of different... What are the main issues, I guess, to come out of it? The main maybe narratives heading into the championship, a lot of clamping down on the hand pass, for example. That's definitely been something we've seen a lot of. Yeah, we've seen we've seen a few issues here and there, but I think it's just been great to have the crowds back in, in, in Gaelic games. I know we saw it towards the end of the end of the year last year, but there's just been huge attendances, I think a reference eleven or twelve thousand at Arma, in Armagh at the weekend for the football. But it's been it's been great to see these crowds back um and enjoying um the GA for what it is and meaningful league games as well I think has been huge I think uh, that's something to take away from it as we said there's so much riding on that Cork and uh, an awfully game at the weekend in the football um, you're always going to get dead rubbers towards the end of the league campaign but there's so much at play like Dublin and Mon- Monaghan in, league, in Division 1 in the football um, it's it, that's what the players have been crying out for is meaningful, meaningful matches in the league throughout this that just means something for the rest of the campaign it gives um counties down the divisions a chance as well um, so I think it's 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 worked out quite well now this year I know there's been issues we've had issues with schmozzles off the ball earlier in the campaign issues with the hand pass but I think it, all in all I think it's been quite a good league campaign Right very good James love it that uh, synopsis there I think uh, I'm pretty much in full agreement with you but we'll be coming back, I'm sure, to the to the J over the next uh, couple of weeks and stuff ahead. But uh, now we're going to turn our attention to an event that's happening in UCC uh, next or this Friday, rather, at 6 p.m. It gets underway. The relay for the relay for life. It's the first time it's been uh, able to be held uh, in person for the last couple of years. And I caught up with Mariana from the UCC Cancer Society for a quick chat on what the event is and what will be uh, going on at the on Friday. I'm delighted to be joined today by Mariana from the UC Cancer Society uh, to discuss the Really for Life event which is taking place in the UC Maradoic Arena this Friday at 6pm and it's running all the way through to the following day on Saturday at 6pm so a full 24 hours uh, ahead. So uh, Mariana thanks very much first of all for joining me today. Great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to talk today. It's a great event, so um happy to raise awareness for it. Yeah, so I guess for those who might not be familiar with the event or who might not have come across it uh, the last few years, like, could you tell us a little bit more about the fundraiser and what actually takes place? Yeah, so Really for Life is a 24-hour event that happens every year. Um, I'm pretty sure it all began, I want to say maybe in like the 1980s or around then in America. And it's kind of over time just um, like spread globally. So a lot of schools, universities will have, will host a Relay for Life every year. Um, and it's pretty much just an event, 24 hour event to support, just raise awareness for cancer survivors, cancer research. Um, and I guess the whole idea behind the relay part for life is that you have someone on your team walking laps 
um, like the whole time. So you're kind of relaying your team. So you're walking the whole time, which is kind of representing the idea that cancer never sleeps and that um, people battling cancer, it's um, like they don't get to rest. They have to fight every day. Um, so we're just kind of um, kind of represents that, which is the the main, I guess, idea behind Relay for Life. Very good. And yeah, so talk to me a little bit more about the, I guess, the team aspect of it, the, the relay side of things. So like how many people would there roughly be in the team? Is it kind of unlimited numbers or how does that work? Um, Typically, it's about 10 people per team. There can be more or less people Um, just in terms of fundraising. So to sign up for a team, it's 100 euro registration per team. Um, So usually we kind of suggest to have around 10 people per team. But again, it can be less or more. Um, and we do, um, are very grateful for people that just donate, um, and come to the event. Like you can come alone and there's a lot of activities. So you don't need to have a team, but let's say you're part of a society or a club or you just have a group of friends that wants to sign up and do it together. Um, that's a great opportunity, um, to do something to support, um, cancer research. So yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, since it is kind of run by students, it's obviously on kind of a student campus. Like is it aimed more towards students, the event or can anyone come along? To support um yeah so because it is i guess like hosted i guess sort of on campus the mardike um i guess in terms of our reach in terms of the cancer society i guess we do reach more students and are encouraging like clubs and societies to sign up teams but it is open to all the public and we are on um, kind of trying to make the event more family friendly as well um to get families and children involved um especially like during the daytime like i know it goes overnight um but yeah, it's definitely open to all of the community um, and we really encourage, would encourage everyone to come. And you mentioned there, you know, that it's not just, the, I suppose, the laps and the, the running or the walking side of things. Uh, but is there any other events that will be kind of on at the same time? I know in the past, like the couple that I've been to, there's been kind of five-a-side soccer tournaments going on in the on the on the hockey pitch and other kind of fun events like that. So what other stuff are you planning for today as well? Um, yeah, so there have been like certain events might not be fully confirmed yet, but we are trying to really encourage um, just like the societies and different um, clubs on campus to sort of get involved with activities. So things like dance classes and we're trying to get a yoga class going um, and just activities organized by us. And yeah, like you're saying, just like little soccer games and things like that. Um, that's just kind of are just just fun activities for people to get involved in. And we'll also have um like different vendors like food carts and things like that a sweet cart um and yeah just just kind of things like sort of every hour just have different activities going on for everyone to join so yeah definitely should, should be a fun time <laughs> exactly yeah sounds like a lot of fun for sure and i guess the last couple of years it's been very difficult obviously with the pandemic to fundraise in person so i imagine mm-hmm. the one is probably very difficult to fundraise and kind of spread awareness and stuff um, when you can't have anything in person but i suppose anything that you were doing was probably virtually yeah so the past few years with the the pandemic it has been has been difficult too um I'm a graduate student, so I did Relay for Life all my four years of my undergrad. So it was kind of not a little bit sad, but like not having the event in person because it is a really fun event and for a great cause. Um, so yeah, last year was online. Um, it was a good turnout, however, and there were, we were still kind of able to have parts of it like on campus. Like we had the, the candles of hope, um, around the quad and things like that. 
Um, so it was still great that it was still able to happen and um, they were able to like provide um, like a lunch to the survivors and still have sort of like a Zoom event for that. So they were still able to sort of figure it out, which was great. Um, but yeah, it's definitely very exciting to have it in person this year and hoping just to get a lot of people um, involved in the event. So. Yeah, definitely. And I guess it, you know, it shows as well, like I uh, said, all for um, a great cause stuff. It shows the, the power of kind of, I guess, exercise, you know, and like this is a sport show now that this interview will be going out on and uh, just the power of sport, exercise in particular. I know because the last couple of years it's been tough for everyone, but especially for people who may have had uh, cancer, who may have had another very serious illness. And uh, I know just from hearing from any people that um, that I would know going through that situation, that the the ability just to go out for a walk or something, or just to go out for a jog, or just to do some sort of exercise, get a bit of fresh air, is really like it's something that can honestly, like it's a lifesaver nearly in one way, and just a boost and give people. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, there's science that has proven that like just getting out and walking out, it's good for your physical health, mental health, and especially when you are battling something like that just having some space and just like you know like being out of nature and all of that's definitely um very beneficial so uh yeah it's very important and uh you said there earlier like you know people don't want to maybe take part in the actual the the relay itself you know they can either just turn up and just um embrace the the atmosphere and the surroundings or they can also maybe donate as well is there any other way that they can uh, people can donate besides being there on the day um yeah so if you go to the irish cancer society website and you click on relay for life you can just make a donation just through the website. Um, and you can also sign up a team that way. And if you do want to sign up a team and you're not exactly sure which members are on it or not, it, it is a hundred euro per team, but you only have to register. You only have to pay like 10 euro when you register the team. And then the hundred euro will go out like on the day of the event. So if you're worried about that or like collecting money from your friends, um, you can do that and go ahead and register the team now. Um, and then you can also, so actually my, my role on the Cancer Society is, um, to do with the candles of hope at Relay for Life. So you can actually dedicate a candle to someone you've lost to cancer. Um, and you can decorate it yourself on the day of, or you can buy a candle online and you can type a message in and we'll decorate the bag for you. Um, so that's a very, it's five year old per candle bag again, just as a fundraiser. Um, that's also a very, um, I guess, special part of Relay that usually happens around like 9 p.m. It'll probably happen around 9 p.m. on um, the Friday. And it's we line like the quad or I guess the the, Mar- the, the area in the Mardike with, with, can- with these paper um, bags, paper candle bags, and we put little candles in them. And then we have sort of a moment of silence um, for um, the ones we've lost to cancer. And we have people can walk around and read the messages um, that people have written to the loved ones. So it, it is a really special moment um, and I guess important part of the event as well. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. And I guess, you know, I, I love the t- um, these events. Anytime I've done kind of cancer fundraiser with my own uh, tennis club and stuff, you know, people are asking maybe wear pink or I don't know, a fancy dress or something. Like, is there any part uh, this year people encouraged to wear certain colors or anything for the event? Um, we're actually still deciding on that currently. So just stay. No exclusives. Um, you don't have any so exclusives. We'll post it right on now. our social media and okay. everything. Um, but there, there might be a color for this year's event to be there confirmed. 
Very good. And finally, you, you just mentioned there, my next question was going to be social media. Like, how can people follow, can you see Cancer Society are you on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook? Where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so we are on pretty much all the platforms. Um, probably the main one that we post on is Instagram. So if you follow us at, at UCC Cancer Sock, um, that's probably the place that you'll see all our updates on our stories and our posts. So yeah, I definitely recommend following us on Instagram if you want to stay up to date on all the Relay for Life information. And you can send us a direct message um, on Instagram or add us on Facebook and send us a message that way if you have any questions about um, the Relay or anything like that. Um, yeah, we'd be more than happy to answer any questions. Brilliant. Uh, Marianne, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thanks very much for coming on and best of luck with the event as well on Friday. I'm sure it'll be uh, great fun and all for a great cause. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and I'm excited. I hope it's a great turnout um, this weekend and hope to see a lot of a lot of faces. <laughs> Yeah, so that was Mariana there from the UCC Cancer Society. So if you're not doing anything Friday or Saturday, indeed, maybe uh, go down there and uh, do a few laps, uh, all for a good cause there. James, still with me here in the studio. You've been uh, working busy there during that 10 minutes because you've got the news headlines for us. So do you want to take it away? Yeah, of course I will. Um, yeah, so Sam, I don't know if you were a big horse racing fan, but Cheltenham was last week, last week and uh, the Irish, as usual, had a great time both on and off the track. I suppose the highlight of it all was Aplutare's victory with Rachel Blackmore on board in the Gold Cup, uh, trained by uh, Henry de Bromhead out of Waterford as well. So a huge success for the Irish there. Willie Mullins also cleaned up during the festival, not quite winning the Gold Cup, but taking five on, on the final day, five races on the final day. So a very successful outing for Willie Mullins as well. Um, yeah, Ireland as well, sealing the Grand Slam, or sealing the Triple Crown, not quite the Grand Slam. Seeing the Grand Slam at under 20, the Triple Crown at senior level with a 26-5 win over uh, Scotland. Uh, not to be though for the Six Nations title as France managed to win out 25-13 winners against England at the Stade de France on Saturday evening as I alluded to the under 20 sealed their second Grand Slam in three years with a 59-5 win over Scotland in Cork on Sunday evening um, notable performances by Jack Boyle and man of the match Jude Pusselwhite um, so outside of uh, the rugby then we had the Indian Wells we might get onto this in a little while but the Indian Wells Masters Series final in the tennis where there was wins for Taylor Fritz and Iga Swiatek over uh, Rafa Nadal and Maria Sakkari respectively in the footballing world we had a win for Barcelona who kind of re-emerged from their kind of slumber they've been over the last maybe 18 months or so possibly longer where they defeated Real Madrid 4-0 breaking run I think of four straight defeats to Real Madrid in the El Clasico um, and used to be close to my heart scoring two in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, but Xavi has really brought uh, something back to Barcelona and I think it was Gerard Pique hopped on in Twitter straight after the game and said we are back so the footballing world shudders at that potential thought uh, there was also wins for Liverpool and Man City who set up a FA Cup mouth-watering FA Cup semi-final with Chelsea and Crystal Palace in the other semi-final Very good thanks for that so we might take you up on we'll go let's go to tennis because I know you're itching to get in on this it, uh, we might start with the, before we get into the men's final, we might start with Alcaraz and Adal, right? The master versus the prince of, uh, apprentice, kind of like the dynamic we have here, isn't nah. it? You know, so. Which like, one's which though with us? I think it's harder to. I won't, I won't say anything. I won't, we let the <laughs> listeners, listeners decide, or my CV to decide that. But, uh, um, what do you make of it? What a match though. I mean, what? Three hours plus. 
all sorts of weather conditions we had very, everything out there yeah very very windy I think that was kind of especially in the semi-finals but also the finals was hugely dictated by the elements and I know uh, I know you might be able to tell as much because they're pros and they're just so good at dealing with the elements but they're so hard to uh, to factor in um, playing tennis you'd nearly, you'd nearly pl- rather play in the rain then play in windy conditions and it being sunny because it was gloriously warm and sunny there as well. Um, I think Dal refers to it as tennis paradise in Indian Wells in Southern California, but it was to be the local boy Fritz who came out on top in the end. But yeah, as you said, the Alcaraz Nadal semi final it was um, ferocious hitting. Um, I think Alcaraz is probably the pri- the most likely to be the next, um, we'll say, multiple Grand Slam winner um, who maybe doesn't have one right now. Um, so I think the likes of Zverev um, and Cole will get will get uh, numerous grandstands but I think Alcaraz could be the one to maybe go that step further and really dominate the sport because 18 years of age he's just looks the real deal like he's physically such an, an impressive guy the improvements he's made I think they, they showed a match from Nadal and Alcaraz only last year in Madrid on the yeah. clay and Nadal beat him 6-1-6-2 um, and the progress he's already shown since then not even 12 months I think and uh, he's pushing Nadal really to the pin of his collar on another day it was a couple of points here and there and he would have won that match um, so yeah I think and what's scary actually is probably most scary of all is that uh, Alcaraz also has so much to work on I think Nadal was really able to get after his serve well he has the power on the serve maybe his placement isn't quite there yet I think they were noticing that on commentary as well he just wasn't able to hit his spots and what the good players do is like they can just use your pace if it's not in the right areas they like it doesn't really matter how quick you can hit it at them bearing it's not 150 miles an hour but once it's anything around 120 130 and it's in the hitting zone like it's going to come back to you with interest so you've got to be able to push them out wide i think that was evident from nadal's we'll get on to his final but he, he struggled to hit the corners maybe because of his injury um, and when you do that you just put yourself under pressure from the get go and it's like a free hit for the person returning so that probably came against Alcaraz in his match ultimately with Nadal but yeah his physicality he's able to hit so hard off both wings there really isn't a weakness in the uh, off the ground and his movement is unbelievable for a tall enough guy I think he's 6'3 or 6'4 so yeah we could be looking at the ne- certainly the future of Spanish tennis potentially the future of men's tennis in general and he's only 80 I think so as well it really does look the part I remember seeing him for the first time last year at the French Open just 17 I think he was playing like Basil Ashville or some guy in the top 30 and just his physique the ball he was able to hit I mean I I knew kind of then he was going to be a real real prospect and uh, here we are you know just a, a year later and it looks like he's going to make make good and it maybe sooner who knows who knows maybe do you think he could win the Grand Slam within the next 18 months or is that a push or does it depend on who's around I think it exactly I think your your last point is um, very true I think it's who's around I think if Nadal Nadal got injured in the final I think if he's if he's missing for the French Open and Alcaraz gets a good draw we don't maybe we will have Djokovic maybe we won't there's a lot of opportunities in there Um I think if Nadal and Djokovic are still around and he finds himself on his draw, especially where he might have to beat two yeah. of them, I think that's always mm. the the issue. I think for some of the players who aren't quite at the same level, Nadal and Djokovic are. It's they could maybe beat one on their day, but then backing it up with it's just so difficult because these guys are just robots and they'll go all day. And well, you could maybe beat one over a course of four and a half hours to come back the following day or the day after and do it all again is a frightening frightening thought but um, if anyone can it's probably Alcaraz he has the 
he has the youth on his side anyway if nothing else and he has a ferocious game behind him so maybe not this year but I'd say come back to me maybe I would say two years time I think he, he could definitely have one I think he'll have one before he's 20 very good yeah I think I'm probably with you on that one as well then let's look at the final I suppose and that I think it was very obvious that you know he was definitely still feeling the effects of the previous match I mean he's had lots of niggles I mean his foot I think is still the big one that kept him out for a lot last year towards the end obviously was I think his upwork on his shoulder and I don't know what was exactly the chest area and he was struggling with breathing issues and stuff as well and even you know he's had lots of just other little niggles and I'm sure he must have still been very very tired after an absolutely marathon uh, match against uh, his Spanish uh, compatriot the day before so overall final very impressive performance by Taylor Fritz local lad as he said and uh, America, uh, American tennis uh, on the men's side anyway they're, I mean they've so many f- um, female players you know they, they're who are su- absolute superstars um, obviously but on the men's side they're still kind of looking for that one player that can really compete for a major they've lacked it for so many years now yeah you're right the American tennis scene while it's strong in in depth it's maybe lacking in that having exactly like you said that one person at quality quality level to break inside that top 10 and really push the likes of of what used to be Federer probably not Federer anymore but Nadal Djokovic these sort of characters Rublev Zverev team they just haven't had someone up that rank and looks like Taylor Swift or Taylor Swift Taylor Fritz (laughs) I wish it was Taylor Swift (laughs) maybe on the women's side Taylor Fritz could be the guy to to do that up to 13 now I was just checking to see what his ranking was after the weekend it's up to 13 now potentially could really push on he's really really like uh, he's had some issues I think off the court which has maybe held him back and he got married very young had a kid very young and I think he's really coming into his own now he's developed he's matured he's kind of grown into his body because he's a huge frame as well um but he's really figured out his game and he's working with Paul Anacombe as well to maybe add that extra element to kind of coming forward we saw it once or twice in the final he's not that comfortable at the net um, and Nadal picked him off on one or two occasions but like you said the US US um, tennis has really struggled to have that focal point probably since Roddick to a degree but probably before that you're going back as far as kind of Jim Courier Pete Sampras Agassi sort of yeah Agassi and Sampras are probably their last probably two huge kind of transcended the game and the game needs a big American player I think because there's so much tournament so it needs it to sell it over there while Djokovic Federer and Nadal have carried the can so well in making it a global game I think to have that American big American home favour for the US Open um, the likes of a, a Jimmy Connors maybe not as boisterous potentially or as as bold as he was but um, just someone who can really add something extra um, is needed in the, in the men's As side someone who can go on I know this sounds funny and corny it, it is but like you know someone that will go on the Jimmy Kimmel show and the Jimmy Fallon show or even like get invited to go on you know the big yeah. American talk shows which we've okay we've seen like Serena Williams and stuff do on the women's side but like on the men's side it, I think tennis is probably there's so much competition over in America I guess you know obviously you have the baseball ice hockey you have the indigenous sports American football then you've got you know so much many other options to choose from then like tennis is kind of probably caught in the middle somewhere and you need these big stars and uh, obviously having an American athlete at the top it does help like there's no doubt about it yeah well we saw that, like the crowd was 
very much like well they love Nadal they were behind Fritz like he was, the, he was their boy he was their local man and they were supporting him and got him over the line like he was also struggling physically it has to be said he came through a tough semi-final against Andrei Rublev where he um, looked like he pinched kind of a nerve kind of in his lower ankle his ankle strapped in the final thought he wasn't really going to be able to play himself I'd say he was nearly glad that he decided to play because he came out and saw Nadal struggling as well but um, like you said like they have strong like they have the likes of Sebastian Corda who took Nadal to three should have beaten Nadal in the first round of Indian Wells watched that game really should have beaten him he's an exceptional player I think he got to this fourth round or quarterfinals of Wimbledon last year mm-hmm. so like they have him they have Roy Leopelka who got to the quarterfinals here in Indian Wells like he's up inside the top 20 of the world Jensen Brooksby is another Jensen one Brooksby as well Brooksby has really come on this year um, again I think he could have made it to the quarterfinals definitely the last 16 in Indian Wells um, then you still have the the, the the old dogs for the long road and the likes of Isner and these characters who are still knocking about still but they're still not to be discounted they can still go about winning winning big matches if, if they get their act together and um, yeah I think US Tennis is in a healthy position that they're producing lots of very capable players they're kind of like kind of like in a kind of a similar position maybe somewhere like France in that they're just lacking that someone at the elite elite level and while France have cried out maybe like for someone to win the French Open maybe the US are crying out for someone to win the US Open as well it's interesting or when you think about the four majors the countries they're kind of struggling not maybe struggling is maybe a harsh word but they're they haven't had too much home success in recent years you know the odd one here and there but it's really not um, I mean it's not something that we did that's consistent I suppose so it'll be very interesting to see all right over the next um few few years and stuff ahead very interesting future i suppose just to give a couple of minutes on the rugby as well might be putting you uh, on on the spot but a, a story of the weekend i know it's already been kind of covered in depth anyway the, the obviously irish rugby and france and stuff but like italy winning there we had this argument a few weeks ago on the show should italy be allowed still to be in the six nations well it was a dramatic ending in the millennium stadium a last minute try to win the game don't know if you caught much of the rugby at the weekend but just uh, an exhilarating one of my favourite days of the year actually I have to say is always Super Saturday on Six Nations uh, the final weekend for me is it's right up there with anything yeah I caught some of the end of the uh, England-France game got home for the second half just to see if the English could do us a favour not to be as typical the English can't rely on them for much things but they, <laughs> they actually they were honest if nothing else I thought in, in, the, in the Stade de France um, France were just better than them I don't think England rolled over to them by any means I think France were just better but like you said the kind of probably the big story was one that flew under it had the potential for the game to fly under the radar because it kind of meant not not much at all um, but huge win for Italy and I, I think it's been coming I think I think I've made a point a few times over the last few weeks Wales are in a disarray I know they won they, they even won a Grand Slam last year but I think it was quite fortuitous they loads got, of right cards I mean the tons of right cards going mm. for them as well I think they had a freak win over England in particular. I think the Irish win, Peter O'Mahony sent off after like 10 or 15 minutes and we had the Billy Burns fiasco in the last minute where we could have potentially snatched the game from the jaws of defeat. I just think they've been found out this year and found out big time. I think Pivak, the coach, has a lot to answer for. They've gone from, I think, I think they came fifth in 2019 or 2020, then won it last year and then they're back to fifth again. But... Like they've nothing really coming true. See, that's the they yeah, were fifth. They're fifth in the under twenty championships. I'll only win against Scotland. At Scotland, we saw Ireland's under twenties being them sixty or fifty nine five. five I think, yeah. So and that's the and like the Welsh under twenties were similar. They're in disarray as well. I think I watched that game and 
like Ireland just ran rings around them and so the game is really not looking healthy in 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 Wales and um, as I think you've you've mentioned a few times Italy are getting stronger and stronger at under 20 at under 8 level really investing and it's good to see them get a boy I think it was the first win since 2015 yeah so, like that's a long time um, 36 games I think was it the, the drought until till Saturday and I mean it was the last second of the game when, when they won it but uh, to just pick up on your point they, there is no strength in depth really now well squad I mean they're still relying on the Alan Wynne Jones yeah. case in point great great achievement to reach 150 games for your country but there's just no one to take his place I think is the bigger problem like he's talking about playing yeah. on to the next World Cup that's an incredible achievement by all means he'd probably be about 40 odd I don't know what age is but there's just no one there to take his place is probably the biggest no one there to push him out whereas you have such competition for places and other teams Ireland ferocious competition for places they're talking about trying to add more as they go on tour in the summer and I mean those under 20s I mean they really destroyed pretty much everyone in their wake except Fra- uh, away to France in France a last minute penalty or conversion mm-hmm. to win it but besides that I mean they were they were averaging nearly over 40 points a game yeah I think I had a, a stat up on how, how many tries they had I think they had something like 20 odd tries and like you compare that then to maybe like the English senior squad senior, senior squad they just lack so much creativity I thought they they just I think there was a stat on the amount of line breaks they made and stuff and they were, they were, they were down big time like Eddie Jones there's been a lot of heat on him but I think the RFU have come out in support of him it's really dividing the media over there so I think the big winners of the Six Nations has to be France, obviously, for winning. But I think Ireland have had a, quite a... We came in here, I didn't know what to really expect, coming off the back of a very good autumn campaign. But Six Nations campaigns before that had probably been a bit hit and miss with Andy Farrell. So that was good for him to get a really solid campaign. The players seem like they're really behind him. They're playing with a bit of... like It seems like they have a bit of a game plan structure. And um, yeah, I think Ireland can really go strength to strength from here. I know there's still 18 months before the World Cup, but it's certainly a good marker to lay down like France are the best team in the world I think Jamie Heaslip said that after the game afterwards and I'd agree with him they're the best team in the world um, they beat New Zealand in Paris last August or last autumn um, and we went there and we were within we were within shouting distance beating them and I think on another day we probably would have so I think there's a lot to be um, there's a lot to be said for how, how far this Irish team has come along in quite a short period of time and I think they can go from strength to strength Definitely. Well, we're going to stay with rugby now because I caught up with Alan Crockwell, who is the director of Mixability Sports Ireland, ahead of um, a really uh, big summer, and uh, not just for I guess the senior men's rugby who actually go down to New Zealand, but also for a big uh, event which is going to be hosted in Cork. It's the Mixability Rugby World Cup, and I caught up with Alan during the week to discuss what the event is, what it's about, and what's going to be happening from the tenth to the fifteenth, or sixth to the tenth of June, I believe in Cork this summer so really enjoy this hope you do as well so I'm delighted to be joined this evening by Alan Crockwell and he is the director of the Mixed Ability Sports Ireland and he's on with me this evening to talk about the upcoming Mixed Ability World Rugby Tournament taking place in Cork from the 5th to the 10th of June first of all Alan thanks very much for joining me this evening great to have you on Thanks, Sam. Great to be here. Um, thanks for having us on. Great to be uh, get a voice to your, to your listeners here in UCC. Yeah, so it, I was just a, I came across the event for the first time um, over the last couple of weeks when I got announced that it was going to be uh, taking place in Musgrave Park in, in Cork uh, this June. So first of all, for people who might not know a huge amount about mixability rugby, could you tell me a little bit about what it is? So um, my background is working in um, the area of intellectual disabilities. Um, I worked with 
the likes of co-foundation, um, in managing the services for adults. Um, we always kind of look on the lookout for, for things, you know, that are kind of community based and, you know, that are about kind of inclusion and integration. Um, and I came across an article on Rugby World magazine about eight years ago and it was just, a picture of two teams that struck out to me is a Welsh team and English team. And, you know, it was just the most normal setting inside in a, in a, in a clubhouse bar. Um, and I just thought, you know what? I was working with a bunch of guys and I, I'm from, from Galway. So they were constantly slagging me about Connacht and, you know, Connacht probably weren't doing that great at the time anyway. And, uh, I said, you know, these lads need to know what uh, rugby is all about. And one of the things that one of the lads kind of said to me is stuck with me. He said, like, I don't want to play. Uh, I only want to play real rugby. I don't want to play rugby where I'm pulling strings off shorts. He said, that's not real rugby to me. So kind of what did my research and I looked up and I came across this uh, mixed ability rugby. So the concept is that uh, it's the full game, proper game, um, only minor adaptations like uncontested scrums, but it's played with uh, people with and without disabilities on the one team. So for example, like it, it, it's, it doesn't, grade people or it doesn't categorize people uh, like like say some sport, some uh, outlets there are for people with disabilities like Special Olympics or Paralympics or whatever. So it's pretty much um, just another team. Um, and I suppose it actively kind of recruits uh, and is, is biased towards kind of making sure that we have people of all abilities on the team. For example, if you kick the ball up in the air at me, um, nine times out of ten I'm going to drop it or knock it on. So <laughs> I would count myself with the lower ability of the rugby uh, uh, fraternity. Um, and look, it, it's very much about social sport and getting the fun back into sport. You know, that like one percent of us uh, uh, like we'll be elite and you know we'll have contracts for whatever the majority of us are useless <laughs> I'm sorry but we, we should have would have could have um, and, and I suppose that's what appeals to appeals to kind of get people just active in sport in their local club in their local communities you know so that that's what essentially what mixed ability sport is and how many do you have any idea like how many of these mixed ability rugby clubs are in Ireland so um, I do because I, I first I, we set up the very first one in Sunday as well in um, eight year, back eight years ago Sunday as well Rebels we started off with thirteen guys we know about fifty guys in the roster um, so like do you know what it, it, there's there's six teams across the country um, two up the north so it's Banbridge and Malone um, there's one in Dublin De La Salle Parmiston and. In Cork, we have three of them. So we have the West Cork Chesters, kind of based out of Bantry yeah, and covering all that area. Um, and then we have Ireland's only female uh, mixability team, which is the Ballancolic Trailblazers, who started uh, the year before last. So it, it's it's um, it's great. It's it's a uh, you know it's growing. Um, like I suppose we've kind of started off with humble beginnings, kind of you know looking to set it up. And, and I suppose we we had to work with the IRFU on that. Like it wasn't like this was an overnight success. Um, because you were kind of putting, say, vulnerable adults or people who perceive disabilities into, uh, you know, contact sport. Um, and that's kind of like, you know, it was smack bang in the middle of the kind of concussion, um, start up for, you know, with, with rugby, you know, so it was like, what are you doing? You know, it was a bit ludicrous when you think of it, but it's, I suppose you have to scale it back and you look at like, you know, it's, it's, it's lower than junior level rugby, you know, so the attrition rate isn't as high. Um, for the most part, like, you know, there's still contact in it. Um, and then you look at kind of the, um, you know, the likes of what people get out of being involved in sport. And it's, it's, it's also the right of a person with a disability to 
um, you know, if they're they're fully aware of what they're getting involved in, you know, um, and have it's their right to decide what they do, and it's their right to be involved in mainstream sport like the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great insight there. And one thing I noticed as well, like from just looking at some of the teams that are taking part, you mentioned the the Cork teams, the Irish teams. But there's teams coming from all parts of the world, even from places where traditionally maybe rugby might be so popular. So some of them places would be, be there's a team coming from Flanders, from Belgium. There's there's I think four or five teams, Spanish teams. Um, there's a bit of an upswing in rugby in Spain. Um, we have a Canadian team coming over. We have rep- people coming over from Chile and Ecuador. Um, we have three three strong Argentinian sides coming over. Um, you know, so like, and then you have the Italians, you have the the, the Scottish, the, the English, and the Welsh and, our, and ourselves. So like. We also have delegations coming over from the Dutch Rugby Union and the Polish Rugby Union to look at this and, and to see what they could could they use it, uh, you know, going forward themselves, you know. So it, it's it's growing. It, it started off with the very first tournament was back in 2015, which we won. Uh, it was our very first tournament we had Sunday as well. Rebels won that. Um, there was was it 12 teams. It grew to 16 teams in 2017 in Victoria Gasteiz, which is the Basque capital of Spain. Uh, we were due to host this obviously 2020, but that was shelved. Obviously, COVID put the handbrake on that one for us. Um, and then we're like, we're, we're now up to 2018. So four is the first ever time we'll have a women's tournament. A four, there's a four, uh, team round robin women's tournament and, and a 24 team, uh, men's tournament. Um, so it's 82 games over four days across uh, from the, um, our open ceremony is the 5th of June. Um, we're playing right up until the Friday, the 10th. Um, so, you know, our game days are Monday, Tuesday. There's a rest day on the Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, Friday finals day. So we, there's a lot of rugby to be played. Absolutely. It's going to be a real festival of rugby. And uh, it kind of reminds yeah. me of some of the great rugby tournaments we've had here in Cork. The Kinsale Sevens kind of comes to mind and it brings a real kind of vibrancy and party atmosphere um, to the place where it is, as you mentioned earlier, uh, just a great social aspect of it as well. So like, um, you know, for, I, I was actually curious as well. So like this, what, 82 games of rugby. So like, um, we'll say, uh, half lengths and stuff like how many minutes a half, stuff like so that. So we'll run off, um, two, two 30 minutes per game. Um, so it, it like, I mean, it, it gives every game every team about six hours of rugby over the week. I think the women's tournament, five hours of rugby. So like it's, it's, you, you want to have a hefty squad to last at the pace. Like it's, it's, it's going to be fairly full on for the teams. Um, that's why we do do a down day on the, on the middle of the week because it's just from player welfare point of view. Um, it also gives a chance uh, for, for some of them teams who travel a far away to go and sample the delights of Cork and, and do a bit of tourism and see around the place. Um, we are also hosting a, in, uh, an international conference in, uh, UCC. Uh, on the Wednesday in the pavilion. So that'll be about kind of mixed ability in sport and how we develop it forward. So it's, it'll be looking at kind of, you know, the, the benefits of it in terms of health, you know, inequality, uh, reducing health inequalities, um, education, you know, looking at the likes of the next generation of students, whether it be PE teachers, medical students, um, you know, knowing about kind of alternatives to, to offer somebody who may be disenfranchised from society or sport, um, that there is a safe place in, in, in clubs that have mixed ability teams. You know, it's, it's non-judgmental. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, looking at some of the teams across the, the, the world and, and, and the different 
um, make up the teams. It's not just people with disabilities. You know, we have people with mental health issues playing with us. You know, with people who've maybe had uh, post-traumatic stress. You know, lo- love. It, it's all about getting back to um, that team. Um, networking kind of atmosphere and that kind of whole, you know, supportive network of being in a, in a community, being a part of something, having a badge to wear, you know, your everybody likes these, uh, likes wearing around, going around with their kit on the whole time, you know, their different jerseys. You know, it's, it's, it's a, what I always say, it's, it's like a conversation starter, you know, and like instead of saying, if you have a disability, I am somebody with say down syndrome for example no you're, you're i am a, a sunday as well rebels player i play for the well you know it's a lot more normal conversation than than somebody to point out exactly what's wrong with you or not right with you you know so from that point of view you know it's it, it, it's good um yeah so look that that's kind of where it is it, it's at it, it's it's very much kind of the fo- yeah so it's i was just saying um sport you know, seep into the like, universities. You know, I think it'd be good. So you're not just concentrating on like the Fitzgibbon and the Civics and, you know, the, the sports should be great for everybody. Yeah, definitely. That's a big, that's a great point you bring up actually, because I noticed and you see as well, like that's, there's definitely a gap, I think, there for something yeah. like that in universities. So it's not definitely. just the third level, but second level and even primary level, because, you know, the earlier you can, um, start these things, you know, with the younger generations, I guess the more enthusiastic they're yeah. going to be and the more they're going to um, want to stay on and the more you're going to grow the sports. So I suppose like in regards to mixability rugby, is there a goal in mind or a long-term vision you have in mind? How sits it sits within the player pathway for for um adults um within the RFU um player pathway it sits within the spirit of rugby i actually sit on the spirit of rugby committee with the RFU and we have a, a disability and inclusion officer dave mckay um employed you know so you know it, like if you think about it from where we started to where we've got it, uh, from a, a national governing body point of view, it's been pretty phenomenal. You know, the likes of the, uh, you know, government bodies don't move fast on things. You know, they're very, they're very conservative when it comes to them. They make the right decisions at the right time. You know, um, it would have been very easy for us to jump up on the, the parapet and shout discrimination, you know, but that got us, that would get us nowhere. So like, I mean, what I'm seeing is that there's a will to kind of, you know, have more mixability rugby teams around the country. You know, there's going to be an optimum level because just the players, the amount of players that'll be there and the people who want to do it. So there, it just means there's an option for everybody. If you want to play tag, it's there for you. If you want to play a more contact version of the game, mixed abilities there for you as well too. So yeah, and it should, it should grow. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I hope so. I think, I think bringing us, uh, to, uh, you know, big tournaments like this, uh, as you said, a mini festival of rugby is definitely a way of doing that. Just last couple of questions for you. Um, first of all, like how, if people want to get involved with a mixability rugby club, you know, how can they go about doing that? So look, they can either contact me directly. Um, I, you can, you can email me, uh, a dot, uh, crawl, C-R-A-G-H-W-E-L-L at mixedabilitysports.org. You know, I'd be able to direct them, signpost them to wherever. Um, also, if, if people want to actually get involved, I think nothing beats kind of, um, experience it and fe- and seeing it firsthand. Look, you're going to get no more better opportunity than, than Cork and I mark, uh, Cork 2022. Um, if people want to log on to www.imartworldcup.org, 
we have um, an event right there where you can actually book free tickets to attend it uh, on any day. But also, we are really, really looking for volunteers. We'd love, I'd love student, volunteer students um, to get involved. We have so many jobs that we need doing over that week. With like, when you think about it, we've we've about twelve hundred players coming in. Um, they will need. We need people on the ground just to support that, you know, uh, help the, help people get to where they need to be, you know, and help the kind of ground. So, so people, you can also go to the, our page as well too, and there's a, a section where you can click in, and there's a Google Doc there where you can fill out in terms of, you know, if you wish to volunteer. Brilliant. And thanks very much for joining me this evening. Really insightful chat. Uh, really enjoyed it. Best of luck with the, first of all, with the preparation and uh, with the tournament uh, over the next few months. I'm looking forward to popping down there myself to watch a bit of the rugby. Promises to be brilliant. Very good, Sam. Hopefully get us out, get you out there and do a bit of uh, uh, reporting for us uh, 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 on pitch side. It would be great. Sounds good. See you then. <laughs> all, right. all right. Thanks, Sam. Yes, thanks very much to Alan for that really, really good chat there. We've only a couple of minutes left to show. The hour has flown by, but it's just, uh, we've just about enough time for our hidden gem, uh, which kind of shows, I guess, the best and worst of football as James uh, meets a fan outside the, the window. You echo that as usual. Yeah, well, where where would, do you want to start with this? Do you want to go? Well, a quick, a quick, a quick cameo appearance. Um, I guess to start with, so we'll uh, go through. I guess the the for, the book I have here anyway is called the Billionaires Club, and it just goes through basically how money and how all these big oligarchs came into football. And uh, interestingly enough, like the foundation, why the, it's the people's game in England is because you would have had like a local business person would have been a money. You would have employed a lot of people in the area, would have taken over the football club, so they would have had a direct kind of okay financial interest but also a local interest in 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 the area as well and uh, you know that's kind of the foundation of football ownership at least in england and i guess it's really gone global obviously in the last few years we've had loads of you know sheiks and oligarchs and royal family members taking over clubs from around the world uh, the chinese league as well but um you know companies over there real estate companies buying football clubs trying to attract the best players in the world so i i wouldn't say much more than that but i definitely would recommend giving it a read at the billionaires club by written by james montague very very insightful stuff if you're into soccer in particular and i think you might really enjoy it uh, at the moment as well with with a very topical at the moment with Roman Abramovich and uh, I think Sheikh Mansour in the news today the owner of Man City I think meeting with Bashir al-Assad the president of Syria so the who who, who controls your club is, is fascinating and people often overlook the who these people are behind the money I think Joe we've seen it in Newcastle I don't know this questioning the morality behind it of do you want your club to do well or do you want your club to be this kind of way of someone kind of um I don't know money laundering or sports washing as they call it um, they're, they're ill-gotten gains and at the expense of others through your club and maybe that would benefit you in the short run but as Chelsea fans it comes back to bite you in the long run potentially yeah and very quickly do you want to I guess, give us the I guess the better side of football with David Beckham yeah we had David Beckham doing his bit he um, gave his Instagram account over to a Dr. Irna uh, in Kharkiv who is the um, head of the regional uh, prenatal centre in Kharkiv which is going through an incredible period of um, stress from the, the obviously the war in Ukraine at the moment so David Beckham handed over his Instagram account with 72 million followers to Dr. 